0: To the Hunt Back Country podcast and thank you for taking the time to tune in today. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you guys. Actually, it's part one of two episodes. We're talking with Paul and Nate um, from First Light. I'm sure many of you guys are aware of the hunting apparel company, First Light. Paul and Nate um, work there at First Light in customer service. I happen to know them personally from things like the Death Hike, as well as just seeing them in shows um, and other industry events in the past. Just super solid guys. Both actually from the Midwest originally, moved out to Idaho to work for First Light within the past uh, few years, which you'll hear about, and they both drew sheep tags this past fall, which is wild. So we talk with them together about their sheep hunts, and there's so much in here. Before you tune out and think, oh, well, must be nice, I'm not a sheep hunter, I don't know when I'm ever, if ever, going to get to hunt sheep, I would say tune in. There's so many lessons to pull, just helpful information about the backcountry, about hunting, about perseverance, and just a ton to take away from this episode, because I'm certainly in the camp of, I don't know when, if ever, I'm going to get to hunt sheep, but maybe one day, right? Before we get into the show, I wanted to thank Garrett in Kansas City for reaching out, sharing the review on iTunes. So Garrett, we want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and hunt back on your podcast swag. So send us an email to podcast at xomountaingear.com with your address. And listeners, we want to hear your feedback, whether that's a review in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you're listening to this, or an email to us directly, again, to podcast at xomountaingear.com. We'd love to hear from you. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We really, really do appreciate it. This is part one. Let's get into it with Paul and Nate from First Light. To kick things off, guys, you, uh, as I mentioned, work for First Light, but just go ahead and each of you kind of give some context for your background, um, You know, maybe before First Light, how you got there, and then what your role is today, um, You know, where you're from, hunting background style, any of that stuff that you want to share, just to give listeners some context, because uh, I think it's really easy to hear Oh, these guys work for first light. Like they must be professional hunters or something. Um, but I know you guys both personally and just good solid dudes, but go ahead and give us a introduction and kick things off. Nate.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so my story, I feel like I, uh, tell it every, um, kind of every scenario like this, but I kind of just apply on a whim. I was living in uh, Detroit and, uh, had always kind of kept my eye on the company i was a fan of the company and, and uh, a customer of the company and i just literally just threw an application out there man and uh yeah i got lucky and got a an interview and uh yeah they gave me that offer a couple of years ago and packed up my life moved out here to idaho uh, beautiful sun valley ketchum idaho um as far as my hunting background is you know family right um dad and grandpa they taught me how to whitetail hunt and upland hunt back in michigan where i'm from so that was kind of my hunting background i had never actually western hunted before so um when i did move out here i was definitely brought on for more of the whitetail category right so just being a little bit more proficient in that atmosphere um but i guess i will say i did shoot an elk in michigan so that was kind of that was kind of oh, wow, cool. <laughs> um but that's, worth <laughs> that, that's Yeah, that's another story. I, yeah. I, did, I did draw an elk tag in Michigan when I was in high school. So, um, but yeah, so came out here a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, ever since just been constantly learning. Right. So um, every hunt that I was going on and or I do go on, I'm always learning something new, whether it's about gear or the animal behavior, or it's just I'm surrounded by a wealth of knowledge with working for First Light. So I'm surrounded by guys like Paul and Duke and. Uh, Kevin and just guys in our office are all just, you know, sweet and they're willing to help and educate. So for me, that's been a whirlwind of a journey. Um, a dream come true, honestly. So yeah. just constantly learning and, um, and improving, but yeah, so here we are now uh, a couple of years later and, uh, we have a couple trophy tags under our belt, which I, I, I'm pretty, pretty stoked to say that.
0: Yeah. So you're gone, you went from living in Detroit to then uh, living and working in Sun Valley and filling a sheep tag within a couple of years, two three years, within a couple of years, yep. Man, yeah, that's high speed right there. It's yeah, <laughs> it's
1: accelerated. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it's, like, it's kind of like okay, well, there we go. We could get one other thing checked off the list, you know. But yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's always we're already talking about draws for this year too. So it's just, it's just yeah. never ending, man. <laughs> that's cool. How about you, Paul? Yeah, um, I guess
2: fairly similar story i was born and raised in in wisconsin um just outside the madison area and i've been hunting and fishing and doing things outdoors with family just like nate ever since i can remember um, pretty typical midwest upbringing if you will um what was a little different for me and in, in my hunting journey and i think kind of what in part led me to first light was, was my interest in Western hunting and and my time I'd spent in the Western space. I moved West, uh, for a summer prior to my last semester of college, I was going to college in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and I went to work on a, on a guest ranch slash working ranch as a ranch hand ended up becoming a, a fishing guide there and went back there for four subsequent summers ended up getting into guiding, guiding elk hunts a little bit and uh, just kind of fell in love with the whole western scene. And to balance it out, I'd go home and I'd frame houses in the winter and work carpentry and odd jobs just to kind of get by. But every time I'd go back after that first trip west, I, I just couldn't wait to get back into the Rocky Mountains. And ultimately, ultimately I decided to try and make it work full time one way or another, whether that was going to be piecing together guide seasons or working odd jobs. I'm like, I'm going to go less to make this work. And if I'm going to do that, I might as well reach out to s- some companies I, I respect. Um, I was in my mid-20s, kind of trying to think about a more sustainable life plan. Um, so I guess I was looking for a quote-unquote real job, if it existed. I actually... Um, had reached out First Light in October before my guide season. And they're like, yeah, man, we might have some internships if you want to check back in the winter. Cool. And I just decided to to drop in to the office and catch them. I'd never been. And I was dating a girl in Seattle at the time, so I was driving cross-country after guiding. And I just dropped in and did an interview on site on scene and got offered a job a couple days later um yeah as of january 2nd this year been here two years on the notes it's been an awesome ride yeah
0: Yeah, that's cool man so we want to talk about this past fall you both had sheep tags in idaho um i guess nate kick us off on how you guys got those tags, uh, what Idaho system was like, and were, were both tags just through um, Idaho's trophy tags. Or I know that there's been like this streak of luck at sheep show and things like that for tags for a first yeah. flight crew. <laughs> uh, but Nate, go ahead and tell us about the story of actually getting the tags. You obviously have the trophy species opportunity in Idaho. Um, is that the route that both of you took? And I guess for both of you to hear individually and you can start Nate, but like were you yeah. set on sheep for that opportunity or had you considered other opportunities in the past for that?
1: Oh yeah, I mean it was definitely sheep for sure. That was the the one species that we wanted to both go after, and I mean I'll let Paul speak for himself, I suppose. Um, but definitely, it was the one to go after. And here in Idaho, as a resident, we have a unique opportunity, fairly decent draw odds to hunt um, some pretty trophy animals in uh, remote places. So um, it's a unique system here, um, given that it's more of on a lottery basis. So. Um, I have the same odds as Steve and everyone else that's applying. Right. So despite, I've only been here for a couple of years, there's no point system. I apply, I get drawn or I don't get drawn. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, ever since we actually came here, buzz around the office was always about sheep tags and doing this middle fork sheep, um, hunt. And, uh, there's always different plans there of whether you're going to fly or float that river because it's so challenging and remote. But I'd always heard about this from all these other guys, and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds sweet." And so, so um, for me, I just started doing some homework on what unit I want to apply for and what unit would be easily accessible to a degree. And uh, I did leverage the Go Hunt tool there and was able to kind of pick a unit. And uh, yeah, it was May seventeenth this year. Was yeah, the day the draws came out, May seventeenth, yeah. like. I was on the phone with a customer because Paul and I both were customer service. So we're the guys that are constantly handling customer inquiries and warranties and things. Um, and I was on the phone with a customer. And my phone lights up on my desk and it's an email from Fishing Game. And I could just see the brief synopsis of the email that says, congratulations, you're successful drawing bighorn." You know, I'm, I'm freaking out at this point. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I kind of gestured to Paul and show him my phone and he's not on the phone. So he's celebrating for me. Like, <laughs> in the background, And I'm like, I'm trying to like maintain my composure. I was, I don't know. I was talking to some guy about something and, um, I kind of just broke down and told that customer. I was like, sorry, dude, like I, I'm freaking out. I just got this notification. I drew a sheep tag here in Idaho. Um, So, yeah, we start kind of like celebrating a little bit and we're already like, all right, how are we going to do this? How are we going to tackle it? And uh, and then Paul goes, well, I'm going to go. I should check mine. And yeah, yeah, sure enough, like he he didn't get the notification, but maybe I'll let you tell that part of the story, I guess. But yeah, it it was a wild day. I mean, (laughs) um, Nate draw the
2: tag. I'm calling people, telling people, trying not to steal thunder, but I'm beyond stoked for him. And then. I check my email and it says that I've been successful as well. So I, I'm honestly thinking there's a glitch in the system. <laughs> <Right. stuff>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? Like, the in perspective, there's eighty some odd sheep tags in the whole state, and we're being told we drew two of them, and we sit next to each other at the same company. <laughs> like, yeah, it just doesn't didn't make sense. But um, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a number of guys that hear this been putting in for their whole life that are thinking what yeah, strings yeah. did these guys pull to make <laughs> this
0: happen yeah but, there's some um, shady under the table deals between first light and idaho vision game or something
2: yeah <laughs> all we've heard the <laughs> rumors yeah a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, couple of you know a couple of midwesterners moving out west stealing everybody's tags yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, guys, but no, that's wrong cool. with it, these <laughs> yeah right great right. no it was just a, a wild day I, I don't think it really sank in for either of us that we'd you know been given an opportunity to to do something really unique and cool and um it's kind of been a been a journey ever ever since finding out we'd get the chance to go hunt bighorns let alone in our 20s you know mm-hmm. i mean
0: do you guys have the same unit no we yeah, did not
1: we, yeah, we, yeah we, just one thing yeah for sure not the same unit but Close, nearby units for sure. Yeah, right. across the river,
0: right. basically, okay, more or less. Yeah, I know we're skipping ahead here, so I'm not trying to jump into the story, but I'm curious. I know that you guys hunted together. Were you together for each tag when both tags were filled?
2: We weren't. That's that's worth noting. So, as Nate mentioned, we we do the same job. So work is is pretty flexible and cool about getting us time to go do these things, but we gotta get work done at the same time so uh we sat down with folks at the company and it was agreed you know we can both take the time we need but we're we can't go at the same time Mm -hmm. so yeah so initially Nate was going to go early and I was going to go in the week after we were going to go in for the first uh, two weeks of the season he was going to go the first you know for a 10-day stretch and then I was going to follow up on the back end of that um just that was kind of our initial game our respective game plans um, based on what we were learning about the hunting and, and each respective unit and mm-hmm. when guys had been successful. And that ended up totally changing. Um, we could get into that more. Yeah. But I did not go with Nate on his hunt.
0: Gotcha. He, did, okay. he, he was able to come with me later on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the planning. I mean, you as we laid out in the kind of the introduction background, you guys are Midwest guys, have some experience in Western hunting, but definitely quick as we talked about acceleration into sheep hunting um obviously a once-in-a-lifetime type tags you don't have like this firsthand experience obviously but being in the area working for first light clearly you're in a good circle i would say to get some uh knowledge and firsthand information um, and that i think that's generally true especially if you look at some of the idaho sheep hunting opportunities that guys who have had that experience or seem to be pretty one well and helpful just from other guys who I've talked to with tags, but Nate, where did you kick things off with like when the excitement happens and you know, things settle down and you're like, all right, it's time to like get serious and start to figure this thing out. Not only learn a new species, but look at a new area. Like what are some of the resources and things you did first things first to help plan the hunt? <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Cause like getting that email your summer and your
1: entire fall plans just change. So Mm. all those talks with guys about doing this elk hunt or trying to do this deer hunt, it's like, man, I, we're all in on this sheep hunt now. Right. So that's cool. I mean, that's not a complaint by any means. (laughs) Um, but yeah, what way I tackled it was, um, maybe a little different than Paul. I definitely started off hammering any forums, um, online. So, like Rockslide, and there are a couple other resources online. Um, people are fairly tight-lipped about it, but like you said, it's a trophy species. It's once-in-a-lifetime. So if a guy has gone and found success, he's usually willing to give you some hints because, I mean, it's not like he's going to go back there. You're not competing. So um, it's, it, it was definitely like get online, try and figure out anything you can, try and get in contact with anybody you can, and literally accumulate as much data um before you try and go out and scout an area um i mean you're talking gigantic pieces of wilderness that you know you could spend your entire life hunting a different drainage it's just it's huge country so trying to have a narrower scope on where you're looking is definitely helpful so um yeah i for me it was definitely online and uh talking to a certain couple guys that i got connected with through the company um that pointed me in the right direction for sure. Um, And it wasn't like, it it wasn't like, here's an X on the map and that's like where you're going to go kill a sheep. But it was like, Hey, this is kind of where I was approximately. And so my unit was a little different than Paul's because it was roughly 65% Frank. So that other 35 was definitely, there was a road that went through it. So that's one important piece to my story is I could drive to my unit and basically get into my unit. um, And, and, access sheep within a day, uh, of driving. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas Paul's was completely wilderness. So his story is different, a lot different in, in terms of involvement and getting there. But, um, so I did spend quite a few weekends scouting throughout the summer, as I think most other guys would here listening. Um, they would definitely go all in on that too. Um, but scouting was a big thing. So following up on the homework that I did and, uh, just trying to, have kind of a log of animals that I had seen and scouted for. And I was lucky that it was like finding, Yeah, you know, I was finding sheep every time I was going there. Um, every weekend I scouted, I think it was three weekends leading up to the season. Um, we were seeing rams. Um, not every time, I guess I shouldn't say um, plural, but I did see a ram of some kind every weekend I was up there. So um, that was definitely confidence boosting (laughs) when you're you're going into a you're going into a hunt that has fairly low success rates um that that felt pretty good um at least for me so i don't know if that encapsulates the homework and backup background story but
0: (laughs) yeah no that's helpful yeah paul i mean how it's kind of same question for you right the excitement wears down it's time to start figuring this thing out what did that process look like for you and how did how did that you know those first Called the first couple months, right? Because you're doing you're you're doing all this research, looking at data, you're probably chomping at the bit to get in the field. What does that all look like for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Once it all sank in, that's where the work starts, right? Um, I think the thing I I spent the most time doing was trying to track folks down with experience in in the unit and the country I was going to be hunting in, because I'd never been in there. Um, Yeah, i have been on the fringes of it, but I'd never set foot in this area that I'd drawn a tag in. And and not not trying to take anything away from Nate's whatsoever. They're both incredibly cool, awesome, and and unique hunts in their own way. But as Nate mentioned, my unit's 99.9% wilderness, so I'm not... (laughs) I'm not driving in there. I'm not taking a bike in there. Um, it's really, really hard to get to. And what I was learning through my preparation was that the areas where rams were traditionally killed, uh, at least by guys that were doing it themselves, uh, you know, not going through outfitters, uh, they were getting deep into the interior of the unit, which I wasn't able to do on the weekends because yeah. you need to float a boat in or you need to hop a plane and hoof it from there or you've got to have stock to do it so the logistical challenges that way of my unit were super real um for my own sanity and in trying to prepare myself for the hunt i spent four different weekends going up to my unit i could drive around to one edge and hike in from there and we found some I found ewes two different times, but I never did see a ram in any of the scouting or, um, you know, like kind of pre season trips I did. Um, it wasn't until I ultimately ended up flying in towards the end of the season in October, to end of September into October, that we ultimately found sheep. So it was a huge, the biggest takeaway from it was that it was a, huge asset or the folks I talked to are huge assets um, in the success of the hunt because that first hand knowledge of the area and about sheep in the area and what they do traditionally and generationally as Nate and I both learned they're very generational critters that was invaluable
0: Mm -hmm. What do you mean by generational critters? They, what Nate and I
2: both gathered I mean he's got his own take on it we both gathered is that if you know are these sheep live or where they're good where they're traditionally found at a certain time of year they're usually going to be there year after year um i i guess you could draw a parallel to elk or deer and how they'll go from a summer range to a winter range and and they have these spots they like to hang out but you can draw it you can kind of narrow that scope down even more with sheep like they will hang out in the same rocks (laughs) <laughs> from year to year like the same hillside um, at, at least within the same drainage they they seem to be really confined to these areas that they've gotten to know as they've grown uh, they they seem to teach each other you know these spots and they stick to them and we saw that
1: firsthand mm-hmm. it's funny to think about like coming from the midwest when you're setting up trail cams and pattering white-tailed deer and on a property, you know, like a farm property, and then
0: <laughs> yeah. coming
1: out here and then <laughs> scouting an animal that literally lives in the cliffs. It's just mind blowing to me. Like now, hearing <laughs> him tell that, it's just yeah, the the whole experience is surreal.
0: Yeah, Paul, how did you make the decision on? Because you mentioned access was so tough, and there's a couple options: flying, rafting, going in with horses. How did you make the decision on? Um, which method you were going to use. And I'm assuming maybe part of that decision was based on where you ultimately decide to hunt. And then obviously looking at the best way to access that. Was that like a, both the spot and the method to get there. Was that decision made together? Did one, you know, take priority over the other? How did that play out for you?
2: It, it was a result of all the homework I did. Uh, One fella in particular that I got connected with had killed him and his partner had drawn, my unit on a party tag a handful of years ago and they had bull shot Rams um, towards the back end of the season um, in the area. I ended up taking my sheep from. So in talking with him and his experience, he was the uh, most well-spoken and, and spoke most confidently to the idea of maybe going later rather than earlier. Um, so much of the homework I'd done suggested it may be best to go early and try to find rams <clears throat> before any weather set in um, or before other hunters screwed with them. But uh, Caleb, buddy I talked to, he felt really strongly that if a guy was willing to go late and potentially deal with the adverse weather October in the mountains can bring that it, it could really set a guy up for success. And I played that card and just decided to hold off and and go late. I knew I was going to be doing a backpack hunt. Um, Regardless, it was just a matter of, um, again, how we get in. And time at that point became the biggest thing. I I would have loved to have floated in. It would have been an awesome experience. But it would have just taken too much time for me to get where I needed to be. So flying was the most effective means to to maximize time in unit. Mm Mm-hmm time to look for sheep
0: yeah makes sense did you yeah. guys uh paul i know you bow hunt. did, did bow enter your mind
2: at all or were you pretty much like this is tough enough hunt i'm just gonna take a rifle yeah i <laughs> I, I i think i had some crazy ideas go through my mind This <laughs> uh, is a little love to have gotten it done with the bow but no i the, the numbers uh at least on my unit are the odds of guys getting it done by themselves, not outfitted, are so low to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had no qualms about taking the boomstick. <laughs> <It was Yeah. laughs> just fun. I love hunting with a rifle, too. I, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's always been my, I know if I drew the tag, I think I'd do rifle, but you know, it would just be so amazing to do it with a bow. Yeah, well, like our buddy Colter, yeah. know, over yeah. this year, I mean, only guy in that unit to ever shoot one
0: with the bow. I mean, it can Some be rifles. done, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, we talked to him. That story is unreal. I'm yeah. curious, since we're on that topic of rifles, did either of you guys, like, did that enter your head of, oh, I need a sheep rifle? Or were you, you know, did you have something you were using, planning on using, and kind of didn't entertain that thought?
1: Well, I mean, me personally, I kind of, I have a 300 wind mag, so I kind of just had a gun built out for this type of hunt already. So that was the kind of my intentions when I built it last year or two two years ago, was that I just wanted something to do it all here in Idaho. So that's yeah. my short answer, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I, I bought a new gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you <yeah, he> did. <laughs> Sorry, I <forgot> <laughs> um, all right, Philippines, no, what did you go with? Yeah, well, I... <clears throat> I'd never bought my own rifle, believe it or not. I'd been given my grandpa's deer rifle and dad's deer rifle. I'd always had a hand-me-down Woodstock, you know, three to nine power optic on top just for shooting whitetails. <laughs> 70 <laughs> yards. In the woods. Yeah. Um, I'd never really gotten into shooting it at distance. I mean, I pr- was proficient to a few hundred yards with, with what I had, but always kind of had an interest in putting rifle together and seeing what it could do so i i bought a new gun probably within a month of drawing the tag and i shot more than i'd ever shot um ever this summer put a lot of rounds down range actually you know got proficient out to a thousand yards Uh, i never thought thought i and i still don't think Long range guy, quote unquote. Um, I wouldn't shoot at an animal at that range, but it was pretty amazing to learn about what what a gun is capable of if you understand the the ammunition you're using and the conditions you're operating in. And it was a cool journey, just learning what the gun can do. And by the time I went in, I was more than confident at 600 yards with a new gun and a new setup, which I personally didn't think I would. Would feel. I mean, that just sounded outlandish to me. But mm-hmm. in practicing and working at it all summer long, it became pretty evident if you're if you're mindful of of the shot you're taking, you can can push that limit quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What caliber yeah. did you pick for your gun? I got a six five Creedmoor. Oh, nice, cool. So everybody's favorite, yeah, <laughs> around these days. Well, not not yeah. everybody's, but just a, yeah. obviously very attainable round and fun right
0: around yeah yeah Yeah. nate kick us off with leading up to opening day what was were you weighing a few spots did you have one spot that was like this is plan a we're going um you know i'm as you mentioned you put in the time to scout and had a bit more access than paul so how did -hmm. that come together for you with making that plan for uh the beginning of your hunt
1: so the weekends leading up to the opener i I kind of had a, like I said, I kind of had an inventory of some of the animals I'd seen. So, um, I'd seen them there a couple of times, a couple of big rams that I had my eye on. Uh, Of course, it's always the biggest one too, that you want to shoot. Um, so that was definitely plan. The plan on opening day was to hit this spot that we'd been seeing sheep at or seeing rams at and knowing there were three shooters out of this group of eight, um, that's kind of the cool thing about this animal, too, is they definitely, they're social. They want to hang out with each other, and they're consistently always together until the running season. Um, and so my hunt was opening day, or when I was going in, um, and that was August 30th. You went in 30th? The day before, or two days before? I went in the day before opener. So literally driving up to the trailhead, at, you know, the night before opener, uh, we just truck camp there at the trailhead with the plan on hitting it early in the morning. Um, and yeah, we, uh, we, we just had a plan there to, to hit those animals, see if we had any luck, if they were still there and maybe make a move on them that day. And, um, you know, if that failed, we had a couple other spots to go check out, but, um, you know, we're talking a day or two hike in to get there, but, um, yeah, we were kind of there in the trailhead and, uh, in the morning, and we kind of had, we ran into some other hunters, some other tag holders there. Um, and those guys kind of took off and beat us on the trail. So we had to call an audible and, um, they were kind of headed in the same direction as we were in the same area. So
2: quote unquote, you told me they were going exactly where you guys do the sheep for.
1: <laughs> yeah. Basically, <laughs> we know, we knew that there was another guy that had been scouting in the same area as us. And, uh, we didn't know about these two guys that we, so we figured the one guy would be hunting. Um, but there was a couple other guys that we kind of discovered that morning that were also hunting the same area. So it was like, Holy smokes. Like we're competitive now. Like it's, yeah. we're all jammed in here. Um, that was just kind of, that threw me for a loop, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just, it's like, Oh my God, you, you put in the time and then yeah, opening day, just like that. It's going to start out like this, but, um, it was all good. And, uh, for me, it was, it was so early and it's dark and these guys beat us on the trail and I kind of sit my guys down. I was out there with uh, a good buddy of ours, Dan and, uh, the CFO first, like Greg Hedin, he's a legend. Um, we were out there on the trail and, uh, I kind of sat him down and we're like, all right, let's just get some food, get some coffee, let these guys go. And we're going to have to figure out something else. Um, We wanted to, well, my, in my head, I wanted to work down this ridge that I'd never walked before. And it's like basically like a knife ridge between these two giant drainages. So it's pretty sketchy and loose. And so it was like, let's wait for the sun to come up and we're just gonna, yeah, we'll just (laughs) have to figure out a different plan. And hopefully those guys, you know, spook them towards us or something at some point, who knows.
0: Mm -hmm. did you actually talk to those other guys at all
1: yeah we chatted with them at at, and first thing in the morning and it was um yeah it was one of those things like well there's only one reason why they'd be up here (laughs) right right it's not you know we were like well and you exchange those pleasantries of uh, what are you doing or what are you seeking out and um yeah so we kind of developed a plan and i was I didn't want to infringe on them. Like they beat us on the trail. Hey, it's all, it's cool. Like you guys go do your thing. And, uh, and so I kind of shuffled my cards to accommodate that. Um, yeah. which I don't know. There people have varying opinions, I guess on that, but, um, I was happy to let them do so. But
0: yeah. So we cards were, are, cards are shuffled and sun comes up is the knife ridge The, the path that you took, is that what you ended up doing?
1: Yeah, we kind of so we kind of worked around to get over there and um, just I don't know what it was like this divine intervention that was like, Nate, you need to pull up your binos and just look over at this spot. And I did. And sure enough, there's the group of sheep, the group of rams that we've been scouting were closer than where they have been um, and therefore where those guys can't probably find them. And I just at that point I'm like, oh my god, this is this is it. I'm starting to shake already, you know. And I'm shaking <laughs> just thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so we leave Greg on the spotter um, to sit tight and watch him, and me and Dan kind of worked in to to stalk him. And we're talking at seven fifteen, and Jeez. right first thing in the morning. And I mean, it's been light for no longer than I don't know fifteen minutes at that point. And I'm already thinking, wow, I'm gonna punch this tag. Um, so we worked down and get on top of them and we just kind of didn't communicate with Greg, our guy on the spotter. And, uh, Dan and I ended up getting in a little too close cause the sheep had actually fed in towards where we had dropped on onto them. And, uh, I, I mean, we ended up right on top of them, man. Like I was remember, I'll never forget this. I was like, we're dropping and it's steep scree field country, um, mixed in with timber. So it's incredibly loose and just hard to walk through. And, uh, I remember seeing this flash, this white butt. So they're kind of like mule deer. They have those giant white butts to them. And, uh, I just remember seeing that like a hundred yards to my left down slope. And sure enough, I looked down there and there's, I just see the body of a, of a ram couldn't see his head. And, that was just my heart just sank at that point because I could just hear the rest of them all blowing out, and it's like, oh, there's there could be my that could there could go my one chance to punch this tag, and uh, yeah, so they uh, we just kind of held tight, but yeah, all those Rams blew out down the drainage, kind of bummer, not gonna lie, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is kind of at the end of the day, it's a it's great because was it right to have it done first thing in the morning i don't think so i remember that i had a mountain goat tag
0: in 2014
2: and i remember it was such a tricky obviously you want to fill the tag but you want to like it's a once-in-a-lifetime deal you want you kind of want it to drag on for a week or two right yeah. exactly
1: yeah and that's why i went with paul right <laughs> yeah. Like, I go back, man. <laughs> um yeah so it was yeah and one thing i'll note about sheep in general at least with my experience now and hunting them is they are very they have very keen eyesight so they live in this extremely steep country so they can watch out for predators and um obviously they have good sense of smell um but they didn't really care about noise so rocks kicking over any of that they didn't really seem to be bothered um with the exception of this time that i blew them out obviously but um you know they they're living in this area where the mountains just constantly deteriorating and it's constantly moving. Um, so I just thought that was kind of a, uh, a neat point that I didn't know about the species before hunting them was that they just kind of are, they're cool if you make noise, you know? Yeah. So at that point we kind of, Dan and I, we knew we kind of screwed, uh, screwed that one up and we kind of walked back with our tail between our legs back to where Greg was. And, um, I kind of I didn't feel down by any means. I was like confident. I'm like, we're going to go find those sheep again. We're going to find them down the drainage. And, you know, it took us a while to get all, all the way out of this hole that we were in. And we get back to Greg, our spotter and, uh, kind of reconvene, get some food and continue down this knife ridge. And we just make plans for camp, um, find a flat spot to believe it or not. I mean, in this rugged country, we found an area to camp and, uh, we just start glassing and, Maybe mid afternoon or so I found, um, we, we were glassing again and we saw, him, saw him again, the same group of, uh, of rams, just maybe, I don't know, three thirty five hundred 3,500 yards down the drainage. Um, so from there it's, we're game on again.
2: Mm-hmm. The only
1: problem is, is they're down, <laughs> they're down, you know, a thousand feet up 2000 feet and it's just a straight, you know, thousand yards across it's just a pretty rugged area to try and get over to them and we're losing light. Yeah. So we kind of decided to make camp there and, uh, um, where, well, we actually had dropped in a little bit to get to the bottom of the drainage. Um, I'm kind of getting all over my, all over the place here. But, um, the one thing I I actually do want to talk about in, in terms of this, um, this area and these units that we were hunting is there's no water there. Um, you're, I mean, with the exception of the main river and maybe some of the main drainages, there's no seeps, there's really no springs or anything anywhere. So we're carrying three, four days of water. So at one point when we left the truck, that first thing in the morning, I was carrying nine liters of water to just try and get out there and stay as long as possible. Um, of course, one of the water jugs leaks, So you like lose (laughs) three liters there and it's like, oh, dude, there's a day of hunting that I just lost, you know? Yeah. Um, How many,
0: you said three to four days of water, was that kind of the same for food? Was that the plan to be, be able to be in there for three to four days or maybe stretch it, you know, and kind of ration things if you had to?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for me, I carried my full 10 days of food. Um, I knew that I wanted to be like ready to go after something if I had the opportunity and maybe I just find water along the way kind of thing. I was willing to take the risk, I guess. I was willing to carry that extra food. Long story short, um, so yeah, it we just basically carrying nine nine days worth of gear, ten days worth of gear and food, is, and water for the few days was, you know, we're talking pretty heavy packs there. Um, yeah. But, anyways, yeah. So, sorry, it's kind of a little distraction there. Getting down into the bottom of the river, we or the drainage there, we found a, a creek. So that was a lifesaver because then it was game-changing for being able to go after that those animals um if it took a couple of days basically yeah and uh yeah so we end up staying there overnight and uh we at this point we've scouted sheep and watched rams enough to know they don't move around a whole lot they're very active, so they're constantly up, they're feeding, they're bedding, they're getting up again, and it seems to be like every couple hours they're moving around, but they don't go very far. So they're kind of just working this 300-yard radius, and that's one of my biggest takeaways from, this, from these animals, too. They just don't move around. They, they're active, but they don't go far. Mm-hmm. So you can put them to bed and have pretty strong confidence that they'll be there in the morning. Um, and that was kind of what we did. Um, it took a while to find them. And of course that first thing you guys can probably relate, like you're looking first thing in the morning for something and you're that you want to see. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I don't see him. <laughs> I don't <see> him. <laughs> get a little anxiety. You're just, yeah, just right in the back of your head. Oh, I, I can't find him. And, uh, it was Greg that ended up spotting them. It was late. I want to say it was like nine or nine a.m. at that point. So it took us a couple hours to find those rams again in the morning. And uh, man, what a monkey off the back, you know. Yeah. And at this point, we have all day to work with. We're within fifteen hundred yards of these rams. It's going to take us a while to get over there, but let's just be patient and play our cards right. And uh, and we did. I mean, we worked up us. We we. But, you know, it helped having a team of guys. I can't t- thank those, um, Dan and Greg enough because I mean, trying to do it solo is it, hard. And, uh, we were using walkie talkies there to communicate. Um, so we had Greg and we kind of named certain landmarks in the mountain. So it was able to, we were able to identify if basically where we were, or where sheep were and, and uh, so we were able to work down in and uh, and get close to them. We knew we were within a uh, 400 yards, which was I was comfortable shooting to 400 yards. Um, I was looking in an area that they had been, and we knew they would pop out. Um, we had perfect wind. I'm sitting in a ram bed that i where I'm laying in a ram bed with my gun, and it's just full of you know scat everywhere. Um, literally like a bed that they had probably slept in that night before. Um, and just sitting, waiting, we had perfect wind right in the face. And it was like, we're just going to hold here until we get a chance to shoot one. And, uh, it's me and Dan up at this point. And, uh, yeah, we sat for four hours, I think on this little Ridge, just in a good vantage point, waiting for an opportunity, um, I didn't want to mess it up again (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I did the day before because I already had that feeling of like, maybe I'm not going to punch this tag. And I didn't want to feel that again. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, we uh, we sat there for four hours and just waited for an opportunity. And one presented itself um, at 192 yards
0: and and shot twice and dropped him. Wow. It's uh. I'm trying to like picture this in my head as you're telling the story. Are you above them at this point or you kind of like on level playing field with them when you're in that bed mm-hmm. and you kind of know they're going to pop out? What does that look like? Are you yeah, kind of perched over them or what is that?
1: Sure. Yeah, so the, the hillside we're on is kind of corrugated and we're sitting kind of on one of the those little lips that's you know falling down towards the drainage. And um, we wanted to be on the same elevation um, mm-hmm. because shooting is so hard in steep country like mm-hmm. that. And so being able to lay down and shoot flat was my priority. So, um, be, you know, being comfortable with the shot was very important. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, we were right about the same elevation. The shot ended up being down a little bit cause they were in kind of the bottom of that corrugation I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they ended up being slightly down slope, but, um, Yeah, it was it was Dan that had pointed him out and he was kind of guiding me to like, you know, where he was, he could see him, but I couldn't because I was above him. And he was guiding me to basically walk right behind him and, you know, where to sit and where to lay. And I'd have a perfect vantage point. And I'm not even kidding. Like I I crawl up to this spot that I end up shooting from and I have a perfect like tunnel through the trees, like right over the the ran that I ended up killing was right in the circle of this tunnel. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was just like a crazy thing all, all the way through. Um, but yeah, um, that, that's kind of my story.
0: That's cool. What's running through your mind when you have a shooter in the scope or was anything running through your mind? It was kind of like all a <laughs> blur autopilot type thing.
1: Yeah. I, for me, it was, it was, uh, I pull up, I pull up my gun. I see a shooter. And I'm immediately, I'm getting on the vitals and I pulled the trigger. I knew it. I saw the curl of the horn.
0: <laughs> That's like,
1: that was enough for me. I mean, there were some, they're, they're pretty distinguishable if they're big or small. Uh, you know, we call them banana heads, you know, basically juvenile rams. Um, yeah, You can easily tell the difference. And I could see the curl that came up above the jaw. Um, and from that point, I didn't even care if he was the biggest one or not. I mean, it was like, that's a beauty. I'm going to shoot him. And uh, it all just happened so quick because I didn't want to lose an opportunity. And so it was pretty much crawl, (laughs) crawl up to that spot, look through the scope. There he is, shoot, and just racked another bullet and shot again. Like just didn't even think about it. And then all of a sudden it was just, yeah. The ringing in the ears from the 300 Win Mag were just like, (laughs) yeah, I could hear my heart beating. And then I'm like looking and I'm like, I think I just killed him. And Dan like, Dan looks over at me and we just start like hooting and hollering. And yeah. we were hooting and hollering at Greg, who was up the drainage on the scope too. He could hear us. So that was pretty funny. Wow. So,
0: That's yeah. Crazy.
1: That's kind of my kill story.
0: I know it's probably super hard to put into words, but we also can't skip over it. Like, what was it like to walk up and put your hands on him? Well, you're going to have to wait till next week to hear more in part two and hear the rest of this story. Again, if you don't already, receive these episodes automatically. Wherever you're listening to this, look for that subscribe button and hit it. If there's anything else we can help you with, send us an email to podcast at exomontagear.com. And we'll catch you next week to pick up right where we left off.